0: Nature dog, the steel cage wasn't the answer to our problems, brother. The thousands of Beverly maniacs that I had to strap back to keep off your back, Jack, wasn't the answer to the problems. But when I heard Jimmy Wolfreck on the way to the emergency room in that slow rolling coffer coffin, mutter the words Yappa pie, brother. I knew the answer to the problem, dirty flare. The Yappa pie Indian strap match, Jack. I will beat you within an inch of your life and the yapapai Indian Strap Match Dirty flare I will prove you will bow down to me for an eternity, brother. First things first is to get the body in the proper position for the strapation dudes. The main priority in the... St- yappa pie indian strap match is to have the flexibility of the wrist that you're strapped to your opponent with brother and then i will say mouth of the man jimmy wolf at ringside give me yapapai pie indian punishment strap number one and as I hear you beg for mercy, Dirty flare, that's when I'll call to the Strapmaster Jimmy Wolfreck for Yep Indian Strappage number 2. And as I see the raw pink meat on your back, brother, I'll take it to another level. I'll transform from Hulk Hills to Hollywood Hulk Hills. I will double strap you with both fists and you'll scream to the heavens, Please, Hollywood! don't hurt me anymore and I will never stop. The Cho-Cho-Chosen
1: war. You're listening to Many Event Status Radio. You started it. You wanna go to war? You gotta war. You started it. We gonna finish with Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210. 0 is the fate of WCW? And I owe WCW. The Dirty Dog, Darcy. You want to fight, man? You want to fight? You got one. Only nobody tells me what to do. And Chico, nobody tells me when to do it. Now let's get into the podcast. Live in Atlanta, Georgia. Live in the lunchroom in the CNN Towers. We're here to make your back crack. Make your liver quiver, and your knees your freeze. Knees
0: freeze, brother.
1: Yep. We wind and dined with queens and kings. Kings and queens. We slept in alleys and dined on, dine on pork beans. and beans. I am the common man, the dirty dog Darcy. <laughs> He's the American dream, Mr. Beverly Hills.
0: Oh man, I can't. I can't even take that. I'm not even close to the American dream.
1: Together, the
0: American dream.
1: Together, we make 400, 400 plus pounds of twisted steel and sex <laughs> appeal. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Main Event Status Radio, Mister Beverly Hills. What's happening? Oh
0: man, uh, I'm I'm pretty good. How about you?
1: I am doing decent, and let. I hope you guys enjoyed the intro since. It came up this past week that the American dream, baby, I guess yeah. you can say the American dream, has finally passed. Yeah, it, yeah. I wanted to, uh, like I was telling you, Mister Beverly Hills, before we started our recording, that I wanted to come up with a special <laughs> intro for this week since Dusty Rhodes passed away this past couple days ago, as of us recording. Yes. Which is, which is hard times, if you. Yeah, will.
0: I watched a series before I got on the. As I was waiting to record with you this morning, I watched a series of Tom Stymus commercials. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're amazing! They're so funny. There's obviously the one with the the fifteen thousand people watching, which which we've. Parodied, but there was also this really good one that we couldn't, we can't parody. So I'll just tell you about it. Where Tom Stymus is like, he always starts by like slapping the hood of a van. He's like, he's like, Tom Stymus here. So he hits the van, and then he's like, uh, he comes up and there's this van or this like truck or something that's like shaking back and forth, and Dusty Rhodes <laughs> is in it. In the front, he's like in the in the dashboard area with like his face up in the windshield. And Tom Stymus is like, This is the only way I can keep Dusty Rhodes quiet, is put him in one of my trucks. And Dusty Rhodes is just going crazy inside the inside the truck, and he's like trying to get out and whatnot. And he's like, Come down to Tom Stymus Fan Emporium or whatever. So <laughs> Yeah, he was man. He was a great, 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 great performer. Um, really like the, I don't know. I think kind of what a good guy is like based upon. He was the per like the perfect one.
1: And just because for for Mister Dusty Roads for Dirty Dusty Roads, <laughs> I have to open up a can of dot of throwback Dr Pepper. <laughs>
0: The Texas outlaw. The West Texas outlaw.
1: And one thing I really appreciate about Dusty Rhodes, not so much then, but now, was him him as a color commentator on WCW TV. Oh, yeah. She's and, insane. And I believe it was you that sent me the YouTube clip or showed me the YouTube clip when we were in college together about from WCW Saturday night where... The, the
0: he got a bicycle. Yeah, you know, that Big Bubba oh, Rogers
1: was fighting somebody yes. then... Big Bubba grabbed a bicycle and Dusty Rhodes was... He uh, got a bicycle! Yeah, he was talking about being on the superstation or something that yeah, he freaked out So, Oh my god, he has a bicycle! He's and like, was, when are you going to bicycle in the, re- in the arena?
0: He got a bicycle! Yeah, he was
1: freaking <laughs> out about it and just stuff like that just makes me, you know, oh, nowadays I mean, it like, makes me laugh.
0: Yeah, well that just shows, and like, if you've ever seen the Chris Benoit... Kevin Sullivan clash of champions match where they go into the bathroom, and, and Dusty freaks out. Especially when um, uh, I think it's Randy Anderson. Randy Anderson gets like knocked into the wall, and his foot is in one of those like tall urinals, and he's like just laughing. He like can't even contain himself. He's like, Reth got his foot in the urinal. Reth got his foot in the urinal," and he's like just the and and I don't know if it's put on or not but it came all his emotion came across so genuine oh. um from when he was doing promos as a wrestler to the point where he was an announcer to anything he always came across like he cared about what he was doing and the message that he was Giving out to the fans, and I think like that when we when we look at um, his ultimate legacy, which I think will almost be like this generation of NXT people that he's get, that he's teaching. Um, I think something that's lacked in more recent years is that believability and the believability of emotion. Um, and that's something that he could do with everything he did. He never came across or very seldom came across that he was phoning it in or that he didn't care. And um, that's something that I think all really wrestlers should tr- strive to have is like, well, you know, why should I care to watch you if you don't care? And I think, like, he always had that.
1: Well, don't so talk about, you know, his emotions and promos. I think the most famous promo he's done was, A hard times,
0: the hard times one, yeah.
1: And I've been, I've noticed and read on Twitter since Dusty Rhodes passed away on Thursday the 11th that in the hard times promo he mentioned there's two, I think like bad guys or outlaws he said in the promo and one one is dead and that was John Wayne, yeah John Wayne and it was I guess people did some research, John Wayne and Dusty Rhodes died on the same day. Oh really. But, obviously, years apart, I think John Wayne passed away June 11th of 1972, I think. And, yeah, Dusty Rhodes passed away June 11th, 19, or t- 2015. So, I just find that kind of funny that Dust, you know, the most famous, famous Dusty Rhodes promo, he referenced two, yeah, two bad guys, you know, one is alive and one's dead. And the guy that he referenced was John Wayne, and both of them passed away on the same day. Which I find to be qu- coincidental, but... Yeah, I guess I do agree with you on that, that Dusty Rhodes was one hell of a talker that, yeah, you know, besides going back listening to all the Ric Flair promos or Hogan promos, I love listening to Dusty Rhodes promos because, like you said, the emotion he put into it and how, yeah, he sold me decades later on the match he was talking about mm-hmm. and all that. And I know I read on... Online about Kevin Owens' reaction to hearing the news about Dusty Rhodes passing away. Mm -hmm,
0: Yeah, that was really touching, what uh, what he uh, he wrote and and what Sami Zayn did too.
1: Yeah, I guess I haven't read what Sami Zayn Mm -hmm. wrote or anything, but I know I was for Kevin Owens that. He mentioned that, yeah, he'd been wanting to go for the last few weeks ago, stop in the Performance Center and Mm -hmm. talk to Dusty and approach, tell him how much Dusty Rhodes meant to him during the... A little bit of time he was in the Performance Center at NXT, I guess adjusting to the WWE style and you know and all that, and he just didn't, he you know just didn't get down there because he was busy. Then he heard the news that Dusty Rhodes passed away, and it seemed like he was all all of a sudden too. That the mm-hmm. day before, saw so he was in great spirits. He, yeah,
0: he was at the Performance Center.
1: Yeah, his health seemed perfectly fine. Then Thursday morning, that's when something happened and. He pa- passed away, mm-hmm. so I guess yeah. I'm happy we took a few minutes at the beginning of the podcast to talk about Dusty Rhodes and and all that and his, his influence on on us as wrestling fans. And I guess I also wanted to mention to to the l- listeners of Main Event Status Radio to tell tell those who are cl- that are close to who you care most about, tell them tell them that you love them since. I guess, you know, the tragic de- tragedy with Dusty Rhodes and Ultimate Warrior, Machu and Randy Savage in the last several years, we just don't know when, when our time is up.
0: A classic Dirty Dog Talk to Your Family promo.
1: I love it. How times, baby. <laughs>
0: and I was just going to say, like, his, I think his legacy and his, like, influence on the business will be felt forever because I think babyface promos since his time have all been in that style like if you listen to a john cena promo that's a dusty Rhodes promo oh definitely you know he just just a different phrases and different um things words put it, put in place but i you know that's a dusty Rhodes promo um and you know on down the line all of them are i think and you know he really kind of revolutionized how uh you know good guys acted um
1: yeah i guess it makes- certainly will be missed I guess the ways it makes sense, well, this was a horrible transition, but I guess it makes okay. sense, Dusty Rhodes passed through this past week when we we're covering chapter six of... Oh,
0: no, 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 Just because... I don't want to equate death of Dusty Rhodes into death
1: of WCW. No, just because okay. the chapter title is "Everything Falls Apart.
0: Oh, okay. All
1: right, I understand. So this is part three of the death of WCW by Artie Ruddles and Brian Alvarez, part three entitled The Fall. Yep. Chapter 6, 2000, Yarathon Falls Apart from pages 267 to 355. <laughs> and as we always do, Mr. Beverly Hills, let's talk about our memories of the year 2000. And before, I guess I kick it to you, I w- wanted to talk about the year 2000 because that year my birth well, yeah, that year for a birthday gift from Daddy Sunshine, I got a WCW magazine. Okay. And I wasn't really watching WCW because yeah, I didn't have cable or anything. And yet, I yet I still remember the magazine that I got. I still have it, I think, packed up somewhere. <laughs> and it was the cover where of uh, Kevin Nash, Scott Steiner, Bret Hart, and Jeff Jarrett were on it. That's when the new NWO okay.
0: formed,
1: formed, the Silver and Black. And yeah, I, f- I found the cover on on the internet last night. It was okay. issue number fifty nine and. Sur- Do you have the month
0: on that? Is that would that be the March issue?
1: I assume, assume it would be the March issue. Doesn't give a date or any, anything. Okay, but yeah, just yeah, issue fifty nine. Uh, on the top left corner has a picture of DDP, and it says "page by page." So I assume <laughs> it talked about DDP.
0: I would, I would, from that headline, I would assume that that's like him writing about himself. Yeah. Then, but I'm just throwing. I mean, that's that would be like the clever wordplay that I would do if I was in charge of WCW.
1: Then there's free <laughs> po- there's free posters inside, oh. of, of the NWO, and on the other side, Miss Hancock Stacy Cooper. Okay. Then some of the other uh, headlines on this magazine was the complete coverage of Soul Boat. women of WCW in sizzling swimwear the mambalooks crime pays and the wcw heavyweight title history oh god mr beverly hills should
0: they be out of date the second that it went into a publication in 2000
1: yes. mr beverly hills can you guess the cover price of that magazine back in 2000
0: um, yeah i probably bought a good amount of re- wrestling magazines uh, i'm going to guess like 495
1: Close, four
0: ninety nine. Oh, boom! Score one for the hills,
1: man. Because yeah, when I saw that, you know, the, the cover, and I saved it on my phone and looked at the cover price, four ninety nine. Like holy oh, balls! So- I don't remember it being that cheap, and that was, I think, a sign of the times.
0: Oh yeah, that's how much they were. I I always thought that was kind of spendy. the um, The PWI five hundred was always a little higher. It was like six twenty five. That's a big splurge for me. That's, but I always had to get that one.
1: But to me, I, I don't. I'll get to. We'll, we'll get to it here in a little bit. But what I can remember of the year two thousand in professional wrestling would be, uh, well, for me, for WCW aspect was that magazine. Okay. And uh, and uh, and watching WCW uh, worldwide every every maybe once every few weeks depending on. You know, on the weekends, you know, obviously doing chores and all that, on the, you know, besides schoolwork and all that, and just, you know, somewhat following the WCW storylines like once every few weeks whenever I had a chance to sit down from chores before eating lunch and, and all that. Then also, I remember kind of a lot of WWF during that time since I was able to watch SmackDown and the Hardcore Division and the 24 7 rule for the Hardcore title, which I th- felt like was. One of the, the more famous divisions for the WWE after the Attitude Era, sure, or the minute the Monday Night War era. No. So I guess, Mr. Beverly Hills, what do you remember of the year two thousand in professional wrestling?
0: Um, I mean, again, I remember I don't know. I have a kind of a ridiculous memory, so I remember a lot of two thousand. Um, for some reason, I I don't I wasn't watching wrestling as much in two thousand as I was in ninety nine. Um, because I recall just uh, WCW starting to wear on me. To be honest, and by the like spring, I I really wasn't catching Nitro uh, like I had used to be, and I wasn't flipping back and forth like I had done in in 1999. But um, yeah, I, I definitely recall was, was still huge into um still huge into WWF one of the stories that I wanted to say last week that I was thinking about in 1999 but it definitely still went in in 2000 I recall there was this website called Kenny's crib.com that so you're you're familiar with the show South Park right yes yes okay so In, you know, 99, 2000, there was this website called, uh, Kenny's crib.com that took wrestlers and imagined them as (laughs) South Park characters. And my friends and I would, uh, in the computer lab, print off these, (laughs) these pictures. And my locker was just like pasted with like, I recall, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin as, like, Cartman, uh, a Blue Mimi one, um, uh, a Kane one as Kenny. Yeah, that was a a very, like, kind of brief glimpse uh, in that. Yeah, that must have been maybe 99 um, of of that. That was really hot with, with my friends, so... Uh, but yeah t- two thousand is still really in the height of the uh of the attitude era of um uh, you know my height as as a fan of wrestling, so
1: so i might as well go to my first quote for yep. the chapter from page two sixty seven WCW entered two thousand in poor shape. the promotion wasn't dead yet, but it was certainly ill, as mentioned in the previous chapter and the previous podcast. When all the numbers came in for 1999, the company was found to have lost 15 million dollars. The reasons for that were many, although most sim- simplistically tried to uh, pay, or pin. pin the uh, p- p- pain. I don't know why. <laughs> to pin the blame on guaranteed contracts. Many wrestlers were, were guaranteed huge money. They argued this created a tendency not to work as hard. As a result, the product suffered. I, we talked about it before on our jobs and all that, and I feel like lazy employees are everywhere. So instead of lo- lo- ways of looking at that, I want to look at guaranteed contracts. I guess, what are the good and what are the bad for the wrestlers and for the fans I- in regards to guaranteed contracts?
0: Sure, well, I like that you put what are the good and the bad because there are both. I mean... Uh, the the good for uh, for about uh, the good about uh, guaranteed contracts is mostly for the um, wrestlers because you don't have to worry about um like being fired on a dime you don't have to worry about like the tomorrow right like it's a it's it's a more as guaranteed. It's a, it's a more guaranteed livelihood. Um, that can, sure. That can affect like your, your willingness to, to perform or whatever. But, um, I guarantee contracts makes me think a lot about, um, sports, uh, as you know, I'm a huge, you know, sports fan, um, in baseball, you, the way contracts are structured, a lot of baseball contract talk in the last couple weeks, right? Um, th- the way contracts are, are structured is for the first five, five or six years, you're not getting paid super well. It's, it's a, it's a low, low level. Um, probably while you're in the prime of your career though. So you're, you're working really hard, you're doing the best, but you're not getting a lot of money for it. Then when that, Six years is up, that's when you cash in. That's when you get that uh, huge guaranteed money. but then what usually happens right is you're toward the tail end of your career, you're probably not earning it. So people go, oh, why'd they give this guaranteed money? they're they're crappy they're they're terrible. Why are they giving them so much money? Well the point is they were outperforming their contract for so many years right like they were doing so much better than what they were getting paid and that's what i kind of think about like for these wrestling contracts is that probably for several years these guys were working really hard doing really well and weren't getting probably what they were due so i can't fault them for cashing in (laughs) you know if somebody's gonna pay me a million dollars go ahead yeah, you I know, guess, so.
1: to, me, to me, the guaranteed contracts, I guess, to me, kind of reminisce about salaries in different, I guess, any, any yeah, other job. Yeah, sure,
0: versus, versus
1: hourly. Yeah, versus hourly, that, that you know, that, I guess, yeah, that salaries, that no matter how many hours you put in, you're going to get paid no matter, you're going to get paid the same every week. Right, uh-huh. And I guess it's kind of assurance, like you are saying, that, you know, if you put in, Thirty hours this week, but next week you're gonna put in seventy. You're gonna get paid no, pay the same. So I guess we, it's nice yeah. that you know during the slow periods, you know when you don't put in the traditional forty, you're going to, still gonna get paid the same.
0: Sure, and as and as there are people who. Will milk that and and work thirty a week. There are just as many people who work sixty a week yeah. and and are paid for forty. You know that's the thing about guaranteed salaries, like you're talking about, and guaranteed contracts in general. So, yeah, just like you said, there are lazy people in every profession. There are lazy people. There are lazy wrestlers. Um, I don't know. There needed to be. They needed to probably structure those contracts in such a way that they could punish these guys who were not. Living up to their contract, but savvy.
1: So, I'll be. so uh, my next quote ties in perfectly with what we were just talking about. From page two sixty-seven, it's time to debunk that theory once and for all.
0: the The theory, the theory, being that uh, guarantee contracts were the problem.
1: Go ahead. The real reason W7W lost so much money had nothing to do with guaranteed deals in nineteen ninety-six and nineteen ninety-seven. Ralph with guaranteed deals were making tons of money and because the company itself was making bank these wrestlers were actually underpaid there were a few complaints about guys being lazy but those who were those who were would have been lazy no matter what kind of contract they had the problem wasn't guaranteed contracts it was that the people in charge failed to elevate or create new main ventures when they had the perfect opportunities to do so
0: Right, yeah, like like if they would have been keeping on making that same amount of money, they could have afforded those guaranteed contracts and handed out more to new stars it's it 's not the guys who signed guaranteed deals when they were at their hottest, what are they supposed to give it back now that the company's failing well that 's the company 's fault, not theirs,
1: yeah, and I guess I wanted to mention that, or use that quote because you know like. We talked about, you know, there's going to be lazy people who work everywhere, not just in pro wrestling, but, you know, we've talked about about this pretty much since the first part of the podcast, that WCW's hindsight wasn't really that great, that you wanted to put what worked in the past as as their main events, and not build up new guys. Granted, they built up, you know, they built Goldberg, I guess, you know, they did... So, same thing with DDP and Stain, I guess, but there's not really any other guys I can think of who they built up from the start.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And just you know, like we mentioned before, we kept beating the dead horse, that WCW, WCW did not build up new stars when they had the chance, and they just want to keep the same old horses that you know that were great back in the day as men eventers and... And that's it.
0: Yes. this We have, I think we've talked about this every week. There's no need to go back to it.
1: Okay. My next, next that's quote.
0: That's why I deleted it out of the notes, actually. Did you? <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, for some reason it's, it's still in there, but whatever.
0: In my saved
1: <laughs> oh, you, or oh, whatever. Okay, my next quote is from page 268, which we've repeated many times, but I wanted to mention. The mistakes from 1999 were not... Only yeah. repeated in 2000, but even dumber errors were made.
0: Right, they kept building on it. <laughs> you know, the one, the bad decisions that were made in 96 were made in 97 and added to and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, on down the line. So, yeah, you're right.
1: My next quote is from page 268. Again, in early January, nights moved from three hours to two. There were a couple of reasons for this. The first was that three hours was just too damn long to run a wrestling show. The second was that by cutting the the uh, opposed third hour, then the uh, compose uh, the composite, composite two hour rating would pretty much automatically jump by several tenths of a point. I guess I want to get your thoughts on the two reasons natural went back to two hours.
0: I would agree with them wholeheartedly,
1: yeah, I guess the other same thing that we mentioned before and talk about current day WWE, Ross, too damn long with three hours. You know, else we've seen it back then with Nitro when Ross was hot that three hours was just too, too long for mm-hmm. er- everybody. So I'm happy that I get I don't know if it was, you know, Russo's idea or not, but I guess that's one. I one positive in Russo being WCW was popping Nitro back down to two hours.
0: Yeah, and it's true that second point is very true that they were just getting wrecked in that third hour, the final hour, whatever nine to ten here, they were just getting worked by Raw, getting beat by you know four points. So why why even fight that battle? You know, do go. Have, have your unopposed first hour go against the first hour of Raw, which is generally weaker, especially in these days, consisted of about a 25-minute promo followed by your kind of lower card matches. So put your hot stuff against that. Try to just build up those two hours. The only thing that they do run into, and that the, the authors point to several times throughout this chapter is, is that because you're cutting an hour, you're cutting out a lot of ad revenue um, because you're not running commercials in that hour. So you have to uh, try to do that much better in those first two hours, which they really weren't. So that's the only trick, the only catch about cutting from two to three hours, or from three to two hours, rather.
1: So then I guess I'll let you, the next point I get is your point. So I'll let you talk about, or yeah, talk about that intro that.
0: Right, I basically just this was a tea to you. This was like me setting the ball on the tee and saying, "Dirty duck, knock it out of the park," because there was there are these little kind of interstitials in in the chapter called "Lesson Not Learned," where something bad had happened in WCW, yet the two companies' uh, current day are not learn, learning from them. And this one was about the three hour, um, um, I three like- hour nitro. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I'm just going to say, I know I kind of mentioned it earlier that, you know, when wrestling was hot in the 90s and nitro being three hours didn't work, why would (laughs) Raw nowadays work with three hours when wrestling isn't as hot as what it was back then?
0: Well, in the words of a famous man, it's all about the money. (laughs) And USA was willing to give them a. Brinks truck full of money for that third hour because that's a solid ratings hour. It does well, does better than anything else that they're putting after Raw or before Raw. So because as the as the lesson not, not learned said, um now 2015 or 2013, whenever they made the deal, um most of most of money made in wrestling is actually TV rights fees. They aren't, it isn't pay-per-view. It isn't, um, house show gate. It's rights fees. So if you're, you know, if USA is coming to you and saying 15 million more dollars for an extra hour, it's all about the money. But, um, are we seeing the same thing? My question was then, are we seeing the same things that happened in the late nineties, happen again are we starting to see that that was my question to you this was like my tee up because i know you love comparing so i wanted to give that to you i guess
1: the ways to compare nitro to raw nowadays that you know fans were so like we're you know that we've been reading about in the book fans were getting burnt out from uh nitro being three hours and i know i can speak for both of us we said it many uh, times before raw three hours is just too much. That yep. you know, granted, I don't have cable or anything, but you know, on the network they do upload. I think the most recent Raw is like a month long, is just in their contract with USA and NBC Universal. That you know, with commercials cut off, I think Raw is like still over two hours and like.
0: Oh yeah, because usually a program is about 44 minutes per hour, so you're looking at probably two two fifteen. Yeah, I think about, some, some,
1: something like that. in like you know, yeah, it'd be nice to watch Raw, even if it's a month old. But I don't. Why would I want to spend three, you know, two and a half hours just to sit down, get it loaded up, and watch it? Then, like, why do I want to spend two and a half hours a week to watch something that, watch a product that isn't as hot as it once was?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, and I and I think this goes to really like our wrestling fandom in general. If I'm going to watch two hours and fifteen minutes, I'm watching a pay per view.
1: Yeah, same. You know, I,
0: I or or something something likewise. Uh, so I don't know. That's where I'm at on that.
1: So I guess we must move on. To the I just,
0: oh, sorry. One of one of the other things I was going to say, you know, when, um, like the things that we're starting to see happen, uh, the overuse of talent, I think is something that, <coughs> sorry, that toward the, toward the late nineties that WCW was starting to do, you know, you were seeing the same guy, three, four segments. Um, they were always involved with the same people and I really think we're starting to see that with Raw where um, you know, you're know you seeing the same matchups every week, you're say- seeing the same guys throughout the show uh, and it's as we're going to talk about TV age later when you see a guy every week, when you see him multiple times in a three hour block, that's increasing their TV age, that's making them older
1: definitely so we must well move on to the next point, the take team title tournament tournament.
0: Right. And this took place at the end of the year, beginning of year ninety-nine, two thousand.
1: So sorry, sorry, sorry. yeah, I'll run down the the, the teams since it, it, we were talking off air, it's like the mishmash of teams. And I'll run them down. Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner.
0: But Kevin Nash actually didn't have a partner in the first round. <laughs> So that makes it weird. It's actually It was actually just Kevin Nash.
1: <laughs> so then on, going on being Nash and Steiner. Yeah, right. The Wall and Sid Vicious. PG-13.
0: Rick yeah, I, which I thought was very... Just give me some time after each one, man. Okay. So PG-13, I thought it was really weird that they were in WCW in 2000. They were... Um, you know uswe uswa tag team they were um in the initial incarnation of the nation of domination Uh, i had no clue that they were in um in wcw they actually got the win here uh over your next team
1: rick steiner and berlin
0: how do they fit together because Berlin wasn't that Alex Wright? Yes. How does Berlin fit with Rick Steiner? And how does Berlin not fit with the wall? Who was his bodyguard?
1: Doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> then Here's a team that actually fits together.
1: Ron and Don Harris. <laughs> mean and fit Finley.
0: Now this is a team I could get behind. This is a team literally that I could get behind if I want to get in a bar fight because I want these two on my side.
1: I was just gonna say I don't want to screw with those two anywhere, anytime. Holy
0: crap! That is the bomb diggity team. But then what? It what happens? Lose, lose to the stupid bald, big bald son of a bitch, Ron and Don Harris, who are just the worst. Oh, yuck! Go ahead.
1: Let's see. Yeah. yeah. Dean Malenko and Conan.
0: Another that, like, seemingly looking at at this. How does it? it this this is literally like a lethal lottery. How do ninety percent of these guys fit together?
1: Mike Rotunda and Buzzkill.
0: Any memories of Buzzkill? Wasn't Mr. He, dirty dog? Wasn't he like an Amish wrestler? No, your thief Roadkill. <laughs> then I say I have no clue who Buzzkill is. Buzzkill is um WCW's hackneyed awful attempt at a road dog That's uh funny. ripoff. Um and who who would be the best person to do a road dog ripoff? His brother it's Brad Armstrong basically trying to do Road Dog, but then also kind of, as you can see his name, Buzzkill, trying to do a uh, kind of stoner, hippie thing as well. And I had, again, no clue. Mike Rotunda? In late 99, 2000, he's involved here? And going back to it again, who wins this match? Mike Rotunda and Buzzkill. What?
1: Or, instead of what, woof.
0: Yeah, that is a woof.
1: The next tag team is Buff, Bagwell, and Canyon.
0: Okay, Canyon always an underrated wrestler, in my opinion.
1: Next team is Disco Inferno and Big Vito.
0: Okay, which at least they fit together. They were kind of in that uh, Mama Luke uh, stable
1: together. Next team is Jim Duggan and Saturn
0: another big what for me, Jim Duggan and Saturn, because wasn't Sa- Saturn had to been working that uh, that kind of four horsemen light revolution yeah. deal at this point, which was you know him and Benoit and Shane Douglas. Yeah. Some,
1: sounds right, yeah. Uh,
0: and actually, their opponent here was their backup, uh, and and so how he gets lumped in with Jim Duggan, I have not a clue.
1: Asia is Norman Smiley. Gross. And
0: here's another one that gets the win. Asia and Norman Smiley? It's like it's a joke. Because, I mean, Norman Smiley at this point was a joke. We watched Slamboree. He was just a a comedy character at that point. Why he's getting a win in the in the world title tournament is just ridiculous.
1: The next team is Midnight and Lash LaRue.
0: Okay,
1: Midnight was
0: again... So it's, it's basically a repeat of the last one where you have a valet, this time being... Very similar to Asia, like a big bet, a big uh, bodyguard, bodybuilder type who was with Harlem Heat here, teaming with Flash Room, getting a win over Harlem Heat.
1: Yes, yeah, the Harlem this Harlem Heat was it uh, Stevie Ray and Ahmed Johnson, or was it Stevie Ray and Booker T?
0: Um, I'm thinking this is uh, Stevie Ray and Booker T. Okay, um, I'm not. 100% sure, but I think uh, the Ahmed Johnson version was Harlem Heat 2000, but okay. I wouldn't fault the person if they didn't write that, so I'm not sure.
1: Okay. Next team is Vampiro and Evan Courageous.
0: Okay. D- do you have any thoughts on, because we won't get it to it otherwise, any thoughts on Three Count?
1: I love their theme song just because you got me hooked on their theme song.
0: <laughs> get up on your feet. Put your hands together. Party one (laughs) with me. Party on forever. We like the backstreet boys in sync, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were fun. They were fun, man. And like, it's funny that Evan Courageous is kind of the one that's pushed the most when he was clearly the worst. (laughs) Um,. Shane Helms and Shannon Moore, who are you know both pretty good and had a very kind of long career, long ish career in pretty high level positions. Um, they were they were kind of the real talent. Who are they? Oh yeah, okay. So here we got Vampiro making his first appearance in the tournament. Yeah, he'll come
1: back later. <laughs> we'll talk about that. And the last team is David Flair and Grobar.
0: Right, and David Flair and Crowbar win that one. Let's just hit some highlights here. So we okay. got, um.
1: Well, you were talking about Vampiro coming back, in. Right. he yeah he subbed for uh, Canyon, and so he right. came up with Bagwell in the court yeah in the semifinals Semifin- against yep. Flair and Crowbar.
0: Right, and and we end up with a, a title match. The final being. Uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner against uh, David Flair and Crowbar, which is very the final, or the whatever the the winner. Very strange to me. It, it you'd seem, you'd think that would be a kind of a mismatch. I wonder if it was kind of a screwy, screwy deal because we got David Flair and Crowbar
1: actually winning the yeah. the tournament. Then you know, just to mention it that Steiner and Nash beat the Harris twins, so. But yeah, yeah, when I read that, yeah, the results, uh, yeah, the flare and crowbar one, I'm like, okay, whatever. It's WCW yeah. 2000, so it's not going to make any sense to me, so I'm not going to try to do some more dirty <laughs> research to figure it out. <laughs>
0: sure, sure, right
1: on. So I wanted to. Think- yeah,
0: so I mean, like, I think this is just. It's good that you included this just because I think it's such. such <laughs> so, eh, so very emblematic of the weirdness of WCW 2000. Um, you know, just a very mismatched, mishmashed um, group of, of individuals and teams that, you know, don't make sense. The the um, wins don't make sense. You got a person appearing twice. You know, just very strange in general.
1: So yeah, I want to thank com for that bracket. But then, I don't, I don't remember if we really talked about this in the last podcast, but at the Star Kid match with Bret Hart and Goldberg, Bret Hart had a concussion from Goldberg's super kick. Yes. And Bret Hart uh, hit him. Have you ever seen that one? I, I, I know I've seen that spot a few times. I don't think I've ever yeah. seen that match.
0: Yeah, really hit him bad, Uh, just kind of on the side of his head, but... In the end, that's not really what does it here. You, now you know you continue there. Yeah,
1: which I wanted to mention that that Bret Hart on a thunder ma- had a thunder match against Terry Funk on January fourth. It took more blows to his head, and he didn't think he yeah well yeah tie it back with the star King match. Bret Hart had Bret had a got hit by a nasty looking super kick and had a, you know really bad migraines headaches for a few days and didn't think nothing of and kept on wrestling and. Yeah. So he, yeah. After that, yeah, he took more blows to his head in a hardcore match with Terry Funk and Thunder. Then I guess his last match he would have would be against Kevin Nash on a, on a Nitro, from January tenth that ended in a no contest that ended his, Brett's career. Mm-hmm. I guess I want to get your thoughts on overall of Bret Hart's career.
0: Um. You know, really good. Uh. Had had some really high points kind of ended in a whimper his last two years here with WCW are pretty rough um, and, uh, you know, kind of just going out unceremoniously, uh, but uh, in, in general really very, very solid uh, I think would be a good way to put put Bret Hart. How about you?
1: Yeah, that I agree with you that, that he was probably one of the best if not the best uh, technician in the wrestling ring that I loved. I love going back to the mid 90s WWF watching Bret Hart matches, you know, with against Owen Hart, against Diesel, against Steve Austin, against Shawn Michaels. He's put on great matches and helped elevate guys to You know, help elevate Steve Austin. He gave Kevin Nash great matches where Kevin Nash didn't deserve great matches. That Bret Hart was, you know, Bret also helped build up Owen Hart to be a uh, you know legit main event challenger for the world title, so Brett was one hell of a worker, and they like I sort of said that he went out the way he did for his career and we've said this before w c w dropped the ball on Brett and just said that his last few years of his career ended or was what it was
0: yeah, I completely completely agree uh, on that one,
1: then I guess I want to get your thoughts on well I guess yeah. Yeah, so you can go, Go. I guess I can kind of ramble about this next point. Okay, uh, my next point is thoughts on being the World Heavyweight Champion and having to retire. Uh, we would l- later on see that with Edge, I think after WrestleMania 27, I believe, where he found out, uh, oh yeah, neck, Edge had uh, neck injuries before and he was out for WrestleMania 19 and 20 uh, because of it. For like, a little, he was out for a little over a year, same with Chris Benoit. Even though I think Chris Benoit's color is more of it was more of an issue, but that we would see that later on with yeah, Chris Benoit and, and Edge. But Edge, honestly went out as World Heavyweight Champion. I think it sucks that you know World Heavyweight Champion you couldn't technically lose the title. well beat out on top, but I also feel like it was one great way or a great way to end one's career on being, going out as champion um, yeah, because I feel like, you know I guess I re- didn't remember offhand, up to reading the book that that Bret Hart went out as world heavier champion obviously Edge did, and I feel like his, at least for Edge wise, it was more of an accolade, like thank you for being a team player thank you for all your years work of, you know, we're going to let you go out as world champ And I guess same thing with Bret Hart that, yeah, it sucks that his injuries was what it was, was, I think, a token to him and his career that he went out as World Heavyweight Champion. And since you're back, Mr. Beverly Hills, from the bathroom, what's your thoughts on being the World Heavyweight Champion and having to retire? I mentioned, you know, with neck injuries with Crispin Mm -hmm. Wan, Edge, and how they were gone for a year, and how well, Edge also went out as World Heavyweight Champion at WrestleMania 27 and had to retire because of neck injuries. And I feel like going out as World Champion and having to retire, I guess, ways is a token to one, to those superstars. But I guess, yeah, what's your thoughts on Brett having to retire as World Champion?
0: Um, well, you know, it really kind of throws a wrench into the works uh, <clears throat> with having to switch it up. But let's be honest, uh, by early 2000 uh, that's no weirder than just their regular booking plans but I I do agree with you that you know if you're at the level where you go out on top you go out um, at the point that you're still a championship caliber that you know that's good to you and that either shows that you ended your career early or you were able to extend your popularity right to the end
1: then we must move on to the next point. Vince Russo wanted the Vancouver world title to be crowned in a battle, or uh, the, uh, be crowned in a battle royal, and he wanted the new champion to be Tank Abbott. <laughs> Give us a history lesson on who Tank Abbott was up to January 2000, and who, I guess he was, overall.
0: Okay, so Tank Abbott was a. Uh i don't know if i'd go so far to call him a mixed martial artist he fought in a couple early ufcs he fought in some mixed martial arts fights um he was always just kind of a brawler uh he didn't have a spectacular record but he when he would win he would always win in spectacular fashion uh in knockouts generally with some really kind of devastating knockouts being his most memorable. Um, You know, WCW scooped him up kind of in response to Ken Shamrock being signed by the uh, WWF and having success there Um, as kind of sadly it became the trend. WCW's version pales in comparison to WWF. Ken Ken Shamrock is, a million times the performer that uh, Tank Abbott is, mostly because, you know, Tank Abbott's background is bar fighting, where Ken Shamrock's background, you know, is legitimate wrestling and to shoot wrestling and to, you know, mixed martial arts. So he had a solid base there. But um, I I don't know. I'm not sure about... Oh, go ahead. You can hey, answer your next
1: question. I was just going to say, Swick, so like you put, answer my next question, but... Was Tank Abbott the right guy to give the title to, and if not, why not give him a chance?
0: Yeah, uh, because he wasn't positioned at that level. I mean, it's it's one thing to to give a chance to a new to a new guy, but um, you know, he he wasn't presented as as that kind of guy. he would be very out of out of left field, and sometimes that's okay. Um, and it's okay to grab somebody who's maybe at the mid card, but then they have to have the ability to carry the title. And I don't think Tink Abbott, Tank Abbott had that uh, both in the ring and as a talker. He was interesting to listen to, but just, just not, you can't imagine, I guess, you know, Tink Abbott coming out and starting a, a nitro with a promo, but I don't know. You don't always have to have that either, I guess.
1: Yeah. So, Chris Benoit won the WCW title at sold-out 2000. I believe that was one of the two WCW 2000 pay-per-views I had on VHS. <laughs> okay. Um, was th- Was this win a little too late?
0: Well, yeah, because he said that he was leaving. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, when it came down to it, I think Benoit won the t- – title in a title tournament and he beat sid at sold out and and how how when benoit had sid in the crippled crossface sid's foot was underneath the rope when it when it happened which would tie into why they stripped benoit the title the next time on nitro
0: right and they made a last ditch effort to try to convince Benoit to stay, uh, saying that, you know, the next night he can beat three guys. We can give you a, you know, extended rain, whatever, whatever. And, uh, the book said that he just kind of saw through that and just still wanted, wanted to leave because I guess before, um, sold out in January, um, Malenko, Saturn, Guerrero, and Benoit, who would end up going to WWF, but also Shane Douglas, Conan, and Kidman asked for their release.
1: Um, well, I think Conan in the book, what? I think they called it unconditional releases. Well, Rele- yeah. Release, but go, yeah, go on. Okay. Whatever.
0: That really doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: um, Whatever.
0: So, so Conan and Shane Douglas backed out because... Um, they had bad relationships or bad, whatever, lasting memories from their time in WWF. So they weren't going. Um, and they didn't grant Kidman his. So he's, he still asked, but they didn't grant his. So they let those four go. And... Um, oh, and did you catch the reason why it said they kind of had to had to release them? No. So there was... This guy backstage or whatever, one of the workers said that if if they left or something like that, he was gonna cut their throats. Oh yeah, yeah. Which you know he obviously didn't mean literally, but that's uh, you know that's grounds for a suit if you try to. You know, mess around with them at that point. Well, they have a guy who just threatened to, to kill them all. So they kind of just had to give in at that point and let them go.
1: Then, do I have the date correct that uh, Blanco, Saturn, Guerrero, and Benoit showed up on the January 31st edition of Raw? Yep, correct. Okay. Just want to make sure then. I'll let you I'll let, I'll kick it to you in the next couple points.
0: Oh my gosh. Now I, I shouldn't have written this because now I, I can't remember how. Yes, now I do. Now I do. Okay. So, after they stripped Benoit of the, Benoit of the belt, um, they kind of went through some more rigmarole to try to figure out who to give the belt to. Um, and it was, I guess, sued or settled on that Sid would get it. Um, in order to get it, though, he was first going to have to beat Jarrett and then beat Nash, Um, but Jarrett was hurt because Jimmy Superfly Snooker gave him a concussion from a Superfly Splash. So they changed it to uh, Sid had to beat Ron Harris and then he'd get Nash. Uh, Various machinations happen where blah, you pinned the wrong Harris, whatever, whatever. Um, It ends up with Sid versus Nash and one of the Harrises, he wins and he finally gets the belt. But, you know, this having your belt held up for a month with, you know, this silliness is just, I don't know, poor decision making. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, that when I read it in the book it made absolutely no sense. Oh my gosh, made my head spin. And like, a hashtag vintage WCW. Yeah, right. you know, I guess, you know, if they want to give Sid the title, it shouldn't have been as kind of looted. You know, you know I wanted to mention, yeah, when Benwell won the title, Sid's foot was underneath the rope when he tapped out. I wanted uh-huh. to mention that since I knew you wanted to get to Sid uh-huh. getting the belt. I felt like they should have, you know, else th- had Sid face somebody on Nitro, whatever, for the title and say, yes, yeah, when Sid tapped out, his foot was underneath the rope, should have restarted the match yada 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 who gives a fart (laughs) and all that so I guess yeah I'm happy Sid got the belt since he was a guy that Benoit beat to win the belt and walked out so I just said that he was nothing but uh, kind of looted hashtag mess
0: yeah right So my next two points were just two promos. My first one just kind of is emblematic of how insane Hulk Hogan was in 2000. In his return promo, it said that it was about two minutes long. And in those two minutes, he said brother five times, dude four times, and Jack two times. I love Hulk Hogan. And as you heard in the intro, the Yappa pie Indian Strap Match promo. God, I love it. The Strap Master Jimmy Hart.
1: So go ahead. You know some brother. I don't think it's right, Jack. Dude. Brother dude. You, you gave Hogan such a hard time, brother, about his catchphrases and words that he goes back on. because we all know they're dirty dog. He likes to go back on the word yeah, if you know what I mean, yeah. <laughs> brother dude, Jack.
0: Actually, I think I'm the yeah man. Uh, you're the, I don't know, I'd have to look at the... Jack. I would have to look at the, the word cloud, but I think that's where it's from.
1: Well, yeah, um, it just and, made me laugh when I saw, saw your note about that, and the word cloud uh, picture that you sent me this past week, like, yeah, I think I'm the one that <laughs> uses a lot, because I know I use that in my like, everyday lingo a lot.
0: Yeah and like are about three times as big as all the rest of the words.
1: <laughs> if yeah is yours, I'm sure like is mine. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: So, so your next promo.
0: Yeah, so my next one is again kind of a symbol of a larger thing, which is Scott Steiner um being insane, being and and really just kind of being let out with no regulation. Um if if he ever was punished, it was always with pay. He could pretty much do whatever he wants, and he was kind of becoming more and more volatile. Um, and I guess there, there's this promo in January here where he goes off on Ric Flair, and he calls him an amazing just line: a jealous old ass kissing butt sucking bastard. <laughs> amazing, love the line. Butt sucking. I don't think you can say that enough.
1: It- I remember reading that in the book, and when I saw your notes when I got up today, I'm like, I am happy you took note about that. (laughs) Butt-sucking. So I'll go to the next point. Uh, Another quote I have from page 286. Hogan's first, or uh, Hogan's interview Made clear of two. So this is an interview that you you gotta preface this. Okay, I'm sorry. This is an
0: interview on the Bubble the Love Sponge show where he talks about WCW. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Hulk's interview made clear of two of the problems in the organi- or in the organization at the time. First, nobody under forty could draw, and it should be mentioned that Goldberg was under forty and had had been quite the draw for a long time before his legs were cut off because nobody over the age of 40 had made any effort to turn them into superstars back when things were hot second nobody over the age of 40 was drawing anything either because the back because the back of the new stars had
0: lack of (laughs) lack of new stars
1: yeah that makes sense because the lack of new stars had led fans to turn turn out in droves before we go into it as you guys hear on the main event status radio podcast, I am just like Ron Burgundy. I will read anything that gets put in yes my Yes, you face. will.
0: Yes, you will. You you're not like reading through it, you're just like reading it.
1: What can I say? <laughs> I'll see with, uh, and I'll see you guys can note that I can't read and type at the same time either. <laughs> so, I, like you said, this interview happened on Bubba the Love Sponge Show. And I guess I want to get your thoughts on the two problems that, yeah, that one nobody under forty could draw, and two, nobody over the age of forty could draw. Yep, it's true.
0: I don't want to talk about more about building young stars. Okay,
1: I want refer what, to chapters one through five. Okay, what's your? Th- uh, have we talked about TV age here on um on a little the podcast? bit, a little bit? But I like that
0: the <clears throat> authors put this in because, like, the the point is like. It's easy to just say, oh, well, they should have built up young guys. There's, uh, there's no point of, of doing old, old people. Well, that's not, the, that's not it. Th- the point is that those 40-year-olds had just been on TV for, you know, going on 20, in the case of Hogan, almost 25 years. And people were just burnt out on seeing him. Um, so yeah, there's, there's the concept of chronological age versus TV age with TV age just being, you know, how often you're on uh, television. My favorite example of, of TV age is Batista. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't debut until he was 39, which you say like, okay, well that's old as, you know, old as dirt. He should be bad. Well, he had never been on TV, so he was extremely fresh. Um, some of the o- over time, some football players, you know, that Ernie Ladd, for instance, you know, he didn't start wrestling until he was in his thirties, yet he became one of the, you know, best uh, wrestlers of his time, just because he was he was fresh, he he was not, you know, stale from being a, a, on television all the time. So so yeah, I just want I like that they clarified that, and I think it's it's a good.
1: Yeah, cause you know. I was just gonna say I don't know if it's you or me that put in, but. Oh, one of us put puts in, well, for TV age, it's not old versus young, but fresh versus stale.
0: Right, uh-huh. And I mean, like, I think, not to go back, and usually I chess you for this, but I'm doing it, um, not to go back to current day, but I think that's what they're doing, is I think they're they're burning out some really young guys who should have a long lifespan um, but are getting burnt, and I think Dolph Ziggler is a good example of that one. Um, I'm extremely stale on him, and he's in his early 30s. Yeah. But but to me, I'm just like so over his character. It's completely stale to me. I guess, so
1: I guess yeah. You and know, if we're gonna talk modern day stuff, you know, with fresh, I find Rusev to be very fresh. nowadays Okay. And I feel like. Like Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens and WWE right. is fresh, and I also oh. feel like the tag team of Cesaro and Tyson Kidd to be very fresh. So I at least, expect mm-hmm. they're trying. But
0: whereas, like um, the Usos, now, yeah. I, now again they're going to get a refresh because the one got hurt. But on uh, up until that, they were about as stale as a ten-month-old piece of bread. So they were, they were super stale to me. Um,
1: Talk about stale. Let's go to your next point. If you can read it.
0: Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was the next one. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was gearing up to say it. No. Okay. So, uh, early in, early in 2000, um, WCW finds a little bit of a, of a well here that they haven't tapped, uh, which is Europe. Um, specifically england and then later in the year they go to australia and they draw huge crowds um and i thought i just wanted to get your thoughts on you know turning to that revenue stream of of europe and uh more specifically again i guess talking about modern day do you think that tna could move their operations to europe and make a go at it go of it as a like european company
1: if finance well, for, for, I guess go to the latter point first. If TNA can finan, you know, f- financially afford to do so, then why not? Sure. So I guess to tie in with WCW, you know, if they could afford to be go to Europe and have hot crowds, let's do it. But that does not necessarily change about booking and all that. And yeah, so oh, I, good point. So it would have you know. Also, you know, if you, the tree is dying, cut off the limbs, ain't gonna stop anything. you got to go dig down to the roots. So if I go overseas to the hot crowds, to the well that hasn't been tapped, go down and dig out the, you know, dig, pull out the bad roots first. Then go over there, you know, with the new booking regime, new booking plans, what, what else and all that. I guess, you know, if TNA is going to do that, they need to figure out booking, you know, completely redo everything.
0: That's so, a great point. That's so, I I hadn't even thought of That's an awesome point. Like, you're right. All that would happen is that they would just burn that out in months or years if, like, WCW or TNA, whatever. If you just move but you're doing the same same old crap, who's to say that it would survive? Very good point.
1: Because, yeah, you're just going to burn out those fans. And if you burn out those fans, then who are, who's going to be left? Yep. So, I guess, yeah, you know, if... If WCW would have done that, I know we would talk. I'm sure we will talk about. They went to Australia and did some tapings huh. over there. You know, same thing. They, they needed to change. You got to, you know, pull uproot those bad roots and kill it. You know, which would be, you know, the bad booking. Those other years of bad decisions. You need to fix that first before going to those untapped fans and make everything make the new booking hot. With the, new, with the new, with those new fans. Sure. So, I guess to help tie into your next point, Mr. Beverly Hills, I want some apple pie.
0: <laughs> Are you, you know, my little dude, Jimmy Hart, in the slow-rolling casket, he mutters to me, Yep-a-pie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, the Yep-a-pie Indian strap match at... Uh, Uncensored 2000, featuring some truly, truly insane promos from one Hulk Hogan. Which, again, you can listen to the intro. That's what it's all about. The raw pink meat of your back, Ric Flair. (laughs) So scary. But the, you know, the match did not disappoint in insanity either because. So obviously, yes, the Strap Master Jimmy Hart gave Hulk the strap. So it's it's a strap match, right? We all know strap matches. You have to win. Well, this one is said that you have to win by touching all four corners, right? No. Hulk Hogan won by pinning Ric Flair.
1: To tie <laughs> to tied in with the uncensored 1999 main event between the same men in the first Blood Steel Cage match, how Ric Flair pinned Hulk Hogan to win the title. So I guess it. Only makes sense to bring it back to Uncensored, bring it back to those two, bring it back to post-modern professional wrestling. Yeah,
0: and then, like, after he pins him and the bell rings, he gets up and he touches the four corners and the bell rings again. <laughs> <laughs> Yep-a-pie. Okay, I don't ahead. think I
1: ever watched that match, but that just sounds like, yeah, post-modern pro wrestling, which I might like, maybe. <laughs> So, I think
0: you're, I think you're confusing the words postmodern pro wrestling for shit pro wrestling.
1: <laughs> I like Shat pro wrestling. Get it right, Mr. Beverly Hills.
0: Oh, you do? Gross. You like William Shatner when he's in? Because in yes. yes. I need you.
1: Okay, my next point was, you know, is Bischoff and Russo being brought back now together as co-heads of creative? I guess I want to get your thoughts on. Both of them being brought in together and being put as co heads.
0: You know, I mean it, it could have worked. They're both creative. Um it's I don't know. Their their execution though, ouch. Their execution has always been the problem. And uh it ends up being the problem in two thousand. It doesn't work.
1: To quote somebody famous on the podcast Bring Bischoff and Russo together would be uh, ouch oh, Yeah, <laughs> but yeah I guess uh, I just want to get get your thoughts on both of them being brought together see Bischoff was I guess the head who brought W.W. up you know in 96 with the N.W.O. Russo as we noted before needed an editor so it would be nice if both of them could be each one another's editors but, I don't know, just an idea I, ha- I had. Do you think that would have worked out if they were each other's editors? If they
0: edited each other? Yeah. Well, I don't, I'm i not sure because then don't you kind of just get in the uh, – yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just wonder, like, if I edit you and you edit me, well, aren't I giving my ideas to your thing and you're giving your ideas to my thing so it just ends
1: up being a wash? Pretty much. Yeah, I guess it's just something I th- I thought of, but... Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know in, in the book, uh, WCW Live was br- was brought up upon off and on during the last few chapters, and I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. What do you know of WCW Live?
0: It was an online radio show, um, and its biggest legacy is that it was the first introduction of jeremy borash into uh national wrestling
1: okay so no whatever. wcw live was pretty much the precursor to wwf fight list right they were kind of
0: doing it at the same time but okay. yeah
1: okay i just uh yeah i just curious about that because i thought well because i don't remember well i guess this is you know pr- showing the point that i wasn't up to date with wcw programming and all that. That yeah, I didn't never heard of WCW Live before. I did try to YouTube search it see if I found anything. In only thing I found was like before Nitros, they would have the hard camera set going, and you'd see fans filling in. And then you would see like a pre like a dark match before you know before the tape oh, and all cool. that. And well, I guess I didn't have the volume on or anything to see if there was anybody talking or anything. They but. could, you could stream stuff in nineteen ninety nine. I don't, know. I don't think well, anybody had that capability. Yeah, I don't know. I, Not video. Yeah, but I don't know. But that's what I found of WCW Live. It didn't seem like it was like yeah, the radio show that they talked about. So uh, I guess I'll kick it to you on your next minor point.
0: Okay. I, I love the Spring Break Nitros. They're some of my most favorite wrestling programs of all time. Mostly because someone usually gets thrown into the pool. You might get an appearance of a guy wearing a sweater in Florida. Or, in 2000, you might get Hogan in the ring, looking out to, like, two miles away, to a tiny figure, putting up his hand, like, in this fashion that you see, sorry, like, for radio like, listeners. Like the big show in the Yes. Signals for the choke soil. Uh-huh, yep. And you got Hogan going... Who's that, brother? It's the wall! It's the wall, brother! And no one, I repeat, no one could see the wall from that far away. Hogan, with his supervision, his superpowers, he could see him and he knew it was the wall. He knew it was challenging to
1: him. It made me laugh because I think the authors noted that Hogan, I think, is near studied just like me and didn't have his glasses on. So, I have to say, when I had my glasses on, I can't see that far off to see who, who, who that person is. As much as my glasses off, I can't even see. you know, like two miles away with my glasses off. It might be like five, six miles off. So, like, I don't know how Hogan can even figure out that was the wall. So, that, that made me laugh. And senior notes about that made me laugh again. Like, I'm happy you brought that up.
0: <laughs> it's the wall, brother.
1: So, when I read this next point in the book i thought this was the nitro you referenced a few podcasts about that you were a podcast on, yes. on was the april 10th edition of nitro so april 10th 2000 was the show where all the titles went vacant correct it was a reboot nitro so i i want to get your thoughts on it since out of the two you would be the Dave Meltzer of the two on <laughs> on what happened on that nitro.
0: Yeah, this was a mile a minute breakneck speed nitro. There was so much going on. It opened with almost the entire roster in the ring um, with while well, Bischoff and Russo get intros, but then they come out. They basically say that they're rebooting. They're vacating all the titles, like you said. Um, they're calling out all the old guys. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, Brian Nobbs and Silver King are mugging for the camera so much; it's like something that you wouldn't. They like have their arms around each other. They're always finding the camera. They're like all right. They're like always right behind Russo when he's talking or Bischoff when he's talking, and they're like you know whatever so they were the stars for me but um yeah this oh man you get the new blood versus the millionaires club the start of that feud which is the young guys versus the old guys um you get terrible reference insider reference from now the book said it was Bischoff I guess I thought it was Russo but it definitely could have been Bischoff um Sid comes out to confront them and they go, oh, you're not so tough without your scissors. And nobody gets it because not everyone knows the ins and outs of wrestling from 10 years ago and knows that Sid stabbed Arn Anderson with scissors. So what do they do? They just repeat it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> especially that the internet wasn't what, that well yeah. used back then and wasn't what it was today. So you
0: know, that's, yeah, you, you would have had to have been reading the observer or, yeah. or something like it. Um, uh, the other kind of the other big takeaway was <coughs> Hogan wrestled, uh, Billy Kidman. Um, he worked him, beat him up for five minutes Bischoff threw Kidman a chair he hit him with it he got the win so Hogan can say look brother I put over Billy Kidman dude come on Jack um, but then they they beat him up and bloody him for like 5 seconds and then what does Hogan do? Hulks up, beats him up, leg drops him but he can say but dude Kidman won brother Oh. I'm playing ball. I'm playing ball, Jack.
1: Oh, brother, brother, brother! Yeah. Like we mentioned before, creative control. Yeah, brother.
0: <laughs> yeah, and sadly, there's nowhere on the internet that you can watch that you can listen to this. Oh, sad. podcast. Yeah, the website that it was on, none of the links work anymore.
1: Um, so oh, sad. Okay, <sighs> Sorry, dude. I, I'm sure you have, but the Ready to Rumble movie.
0: Yeah, this brings up some actually interesting memories. Uh, my freshman roommate in college, not a huge wrestling fan, huge Ready to Rumble fan. Um, and he had just a ton of movies uh, on DVD because his dad, now no, <laughs> he probably doesn't anymore, but he managed a blockbuster video. So all the DVDs he would, like, burn copies of, which I'm pretty sure is, like, as illegal as it gets. But whatever. Um, And especially if you're not renting it. I I don't know. Whatever. And and one of them was Ready to Rumble. Uh, Ready to Rumble is, uh, I don't know, it could have been written by Vince Russo for all I know because it was very much, like, a storyline like him. Um, You got these two wrestling fans who... Don't know that wrestling's real, not real. Not predetermined. Played by David Arquette and Scott Kahn. And their favorite wrestler, uh, Jimmy King, is um, beaten for real. Quote, unquote. Right? It's a shoot, brother. And... Because, whatever, the owner, him and the owner don't get along, and...
1: Sounds like, uh, Robert Shares 1997.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, uh-huh, right. Yeah, that's what it is basic. Again, that's why I thought it was Russo, because he always goes back to the wall on uh, <laughs> the Macho job. But, so then he's, like, ran out of the company, um... Long story short, these two get trained, quote unquote, by this old guy living in an apartment. Um, they find the Jimmy King character. They storm back WCW. Like, they come out of the crowd and they beat, like, all the wrestlers. Like, Sting, DDP is in it. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow's in it. Uh, and <laughs> for real. "Quote unquote, Jimmy King wins the title again, and beats up the owner, who for some reason is always wearing a brown leather jacket, which I think is strange. But it's a terrible movie, man. There, a big part of it is that like the David Arquette character is driving a a, a truck full of poop. Okay." <laughs> And his poop truck goes off the road. So there's poop everywhere. But then there's, miraculously, runs into a toilet paper truck. (laughs) Oh, no, you thought it was funny. I just put... Target market.
1: Whatever, Jack. I just... (laughs) I guess I just laughed at your explanation of it. Oh, well,
0: thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. So that's like their symbol that they need to try to go
1: help Jimmy King because they're like, oh, it's a miracle. I guess to tie it to that movie where the king, the rock, rock up higher, call me MC. I don't even know the rest of the lyrics. Sucker
0: MCs should call me sire. Ain't stop rocking till I retire
1: yes i bought the greatest hits of rum dmc because that song was on it kings of rock I was on it nice i guess well i want to get your thoughts on mike awesome and how wcw booked him
0: yeah well um i thought mike awesome was a really interesting character um in ecw just as a guy who just ran through everybody um just freaking wrecking all covers um it's unfortunate how WCW booked him because he, going back to our earlier point, was completely fresh. He had been on ECW TV for six months, or eh, I guess getting closer to a year at that point. But ECW TV was not highly watched. It didn't have a huge it had a good enough viewership, but obviously not that good because they all, you know, they went out of business. But so he was entirely fresh, like clean slate, and he could have been great. Um, he had a great look. Uh, he could do things in the ring that not a lot of people could do, um, but they they saddled him with terrible gimmicks. The 70s guy, uh, fat the chick Fat thriller. Chick Thriller. Um, he joined Team Canada for a bit. Um, it's bad. Yeah, lots, lots of bad stuff with him. Total squandered opportunity.
1: And um, the WCW World Television title was retired in February of 2000 with Hacksaw uh, Jim Duggan as the last champion. I guess I want, want us to share any memories of the TV title.
0: Okay, well, yeah, the only things that I really remember about the TV title, uh, a few things. Just Arn Anderson's reign with it in the very early 90s. Uh, he did a really good job with it. Um, I recall, I think, Steven Regal having a run with it, yep. which I liked. And then uh, Duggan fighting it in the turlet. Yeah. Those are the only three things that I really remember about that TV title.
1: I love going back and watching old WCW pay-per-views and watching the TV title match because guys like Art Anderson, Lord Steven Regal, even older with T- Atolia Blanchard and Dusty Rhodes having the title. I just find find, it, find those matches to be one of the one of the better matches of the night, more technical matches, which I which I like. Right. So it's
0: just Well there's always the oh sorry,
1: go ahead. It was just it's just sad to see the T V title go out that way, but then again, you know, we also saw WCW Saturday night just get cancelled out of the blue with no explanation or anything. So I guess if they're killing off titles and shows why not?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just disappointing. You know, to see that, see it end like that.
1: Then uh, on April 28th, 2000, David Arquette won the WCW World Heavyweight title on an episode of WCW Thunder where, where David Arquette teamed up with champion DDP against Eric Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett in a match that Beverly Hills hates on whoever, <laughs> who, whoever whoever scores a victory wins the world title
0: one of the most infamous title changes of all time would be David Arquette
1: winning the title. And, oh, uh, my Lord. Yeah, on Thunder! Uh, uh, too, I want to get, get your thoughts on what he did with his money, but before you you do, Arquette, Arquette was against the idea of winning the title, but he just went with it. The money that he got from... Being champion, he sent all that money that he made towards to the families of Owen Hart and Brian Pillman, and uh, Darren Drozdoff, who was paralyzed from the neck down in a tra- tra- tragic tragic injury accident on SmackDown. So I guess I want to get your thoughts on him being against the idea, and but went with it, and because he went with it, he wanted to use his paydays and send that towards those fa- those the families of those three competitors.
0: Right, I thought that was really cool. I think that was really cool of him. Um, he, you know, David Arquette comes across as kind of a dweeb, kind of a kind of a fool, um, just to interviews and stuff. But you know, th- I'm, that just must be kind of a character that he plays because that that's pretty stand up. That's pretty awesome. Um, that doesn't make up for the fact that this is one of the worst decisions that a company could ever do because. It received a little bit of mainstream press, you know being on entertainment tonight, being um in u s a today, but those features were as were presenting it as a joke, not presenting it like, oh my gosh, look how cool this is um so I don't think the publicity was good publicity, and you gotta know the difference right like if you're if you're doing anything um this is, like, the opposite of that. What's the name of – it's Bischoff's book, right? Controversy Creates Cash, yes. right? It doesn't always because <laughs> bad publicity doesn't give you cash. You yeah. know, so people just look at you as a joke. They look at you like um, it's not worth – you're not worth anything. So I, I think it's just
1: a terrible decision. Well, will talk about a terrible decision and a joke. We will get to it in regards to the WCW title later on in the podcast. Okay. But to my next note, and in honor of Dusty Rhodes on this podcast, I'm opening up my mid-event status, Dusty Rhodes, Mellow Yellow.
0: Okay, do it. That was a good one. That was a really
1: good crack. Because I wanted to open up a crack of Dusty Rhodes, Mellow Yellow, for us watching WCW Slambury 2000 on... VHS that I bought at a Goodwill here in St. Cloud for a dollar, Mister Beverly Hills. Do you remember the fun time we had, hanging out <laughs> and watching this WCW pay-per-view?
0: Yes, and Ralph is throwing garbage cans off the top of some random hill of turf, like a <laughs> like a uh, Donkey Kong. Uh,
1: I think yes. he was wearing like an umpire outfit too, if I remember correctly.
0: Like, oh God, that's right. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and do, it wasn't that the pay-per-view you watched it with mikey wolfreck and he thought that was the, like the best pay-per-view ever
0: he came like halfway through and he's like whoa what's this and we're like it's wcw from 2000 he's like why did this stick around this is awesome
1: <laughs> and i remember after you said that both of us looked at each other and the dumbfound expression on on our face like did he just say that
0: and, he, and he's like what and <laughs> i think i tried to explain that like Okay, watching it out of context, it's kind of fun, like it's you know going a mile a minute or whatever. But if you had to watch it week by week and try to like follow storylines, not so much.
1: I think after we're done with this podcast, I might have to uh, ship my my edition of the Death of WCW book down to uh, Wolf Cato to send it to Mikey Wolfrack, for he can read the book and listen to our podcast.
0: <laughs> the Mankato mouth, or yes. mouth of Mankato or whatever you call it.
1: Then I well, I guess I want to mention Slam Two Thousand because this was this was in the same arena where Owen Hart died, the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, and this was also the night where Mike Austin threw Cannon off the second cage, uh, It had him crash the ramp below. But before we go into that, that the main event was Arquette defending the uh, WCW title against Jeff Jarrett and DDP in the triple cage match from yeah. uh, Ready to Rumble or we you we had to climb up climb up to the top of the cage and grab the title. So I guess I want to get your thoughts on uh, Oh, I guess one, do you remember our reaction to watching it on VHS when Awesome threw Cannon off the second cage and had him crash through the ramp below? I mean, it's
0: it was probably not the best decision. Um, you know, given that it's where that Owen Hart died. It's where Owen Hart died. Um,
1: I don't know, like they thought about that, yeah. <laughs> you know, as if, right? Yeah, I, I I I still remember our reaction to watching that on VHS, that both of us were stunned silent as well as the WCW crowd was, and we were wondering how stupid WCW was for doing that. And like you said, that I highly doubt WCW thought about that, you know, that this was the same arena that Owen Hart died about a year before. yeah. And and all that. Granted, you know Kenny did some bumps off of it before the re- before the show. But what if something would have bad happened when they, they were practicing that before the show? Sure, uh huh. So I guess that just kind of bothered me some. But I guess I wanted to mention mention that I thought the well, I can't remember too much about the main event if it was good or bad. I assume it was I bad. I can't remember
0: much of it. It's, I, I mean, like they got Arquette out of the way by having him climb up to the top cage, and then being scared that he was so high, so he was just hiding. So that was a good decision. Yeah, that, that I was think, a smart
1: good decision. Yeah, Arquette, you know, turned on DDP in the match at the end. Yeah, at the end. But I do remember us having a bunch of laughs throughout the pay per view up until the the end when Austin threw Kenny off the second cage. But I just yeah. wanted to mention that that yeah, we had such a fun time laughing at R- ralphus and all that wearing his umpire outfit be- pulling a donkey kind, and throwing garbage <laughs> cans and all that yes oh so i know i mentioned that earlier in the podcast in the last few weeks that during this time i used to watch wcw worldwide once in a while once every couple weekends you know in between doing chores <laughs> and about to eat lunch and all that and i think right around the May thir- 15th edition of Nitro to, I think, the May 29th edition of Nitro, the world title bounced back and forth. Oh my gosh, so much. Ric Flair defeated Jeff Jarrett on the 15th, May 15th edition of Nitro to win, win the world title. Then on May 17th edition of Thunder, Flair fell down in the main event and made it seem like he had a heart attack. Huh. <laughs> Then on the May 22nd Nitro, Russo stripped Flair of the title and Jarrett won it in the match against Nash. Then on the 23rd, in the book, on Saginaw, Michigan on Thunder, Nash won the world title on three-way against Jarrett and Steiner. Then on the May 29th edition of Nitro, Nash came out and gave the belt to Flair because he never lost in the ring. <laughs> Which made somehow Ric Flair the world heavyweight champion. Then Flair went on and lost a title on the same night to Jarrett.
0: Yeah.
1: Because at this time, yeah, I was living in Malacca, and I didn't have cable TV. And, yeah, the only way I could watch WWE TV was catching WCW Worldwide, I think at 11 o'clock in the morning. And so I kind of – this was the only storyline in WCW that I remember happening <laughs> back then. So
0: awesome. I guess
1: I won – I want to bring bring that up here in the podcast. I also want to get your thoughts on the the popcorning of the world heavyweight title.
0: Oh my gosh, it's just purely insane. Just the and just for it to go back to Flair, just do it. You know, to erase these two weeks of insanity. Oh yeah, just whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess if they want to give Flair the title, let it win it on the May 15th edition of Nitro, then have him lose it, yeah. Two just weeks. have them keep it. Yeah, keep it, and just then lose it two weeks later on the May night 29th edition.
0: Yeah, or whatever. Ah, oh, woof.
1: Talk about woof. No, if, talk about nay. As I say, let's keep it in the barn, man. I'll take <laughs> it to your next quote here so, from the Funker. So dirty. <laughs> this
0: is just... I love these just little anecdotes. Just... Uh, On a on a match with Chris Candido that went out into a stable, why I don't know. Um, This horse that's in the stable kicks Terry Funk like really hard, right? I think of the leg. He gets up and he goes, "I'll kick your ass, horse." (laughs) That's it.
1: Okay. (laughs) Then, at the WCW Great American Bash 2000 pay per view, saw the heel turn of one. Bill Goldberg. Right. Mr. Beverly Hills, what's your thoughts on Goldberg as a heel?
0: Oh man, it's it's really tough to say because like could he have worked as a heel or turning him heel? Sure, I mean like just uh, if he would have been given given a chance and stuff, it all it all goes back to the writing. And he was just booked so poorly as really has a baby face and a heel. but um, I don't know. I don't know if he was ready to turn. I think everyone was still cheering for him. Um, especially because I think he had just come back from that big arm injury, right?
1: I think so yeah.
0: So that's that's kind of a, a poor decision. You shouldn't because coming back from injury, coming back from an absence. Is a, re- is a character refresh in general so you probably don't have to um refresh them with a, with a turn at the same point
1: yeah I just felt like it was too early to turn Goldberg heel if the fans didn't want him to turn heel why force him to turn heel
0: yeah uh, especially if you don't seemingly have good plans for it which it didn't
1: talk about things that weren't that talk about plans that weren't so good Bischoff and Hogan tried to negotiate with Fox and I quote from page 310 Eric's idea which he had for some time was to put another wrestling show on the Fox network build up the wrestlers that would be sent there and then eventually do an interpromotional feud actually this was very similar to what WWE ended up doing with the Ross Smackdown brand extension years later I guess I want to mention that because Bischoff, what I can recall, Bischoff originally wanted to do that with the NWO storyline. Oh, yeah. And I guess what's your thoughts on Bischoff trying to negotiate with Fox to get, I guess, a WCW brand B. Second one, up yeah. Up on the network and all that.
0: Um, I thought it was a kind of a cool idea. I liked the brand extension when it happened. The only issue is that... um. You know, you got to fill that programming, and sometimes, you know, even though we always talk about, like, building new stars or whatever, sometimes those guys aren't ready for it, and you get matches like Mordecai and, you know, crap like that that didn't des- doesn't deserve to be on a pay-per-view. Um, but for the most part, I liked it. I liked that we got, you know, some new main adventures that we may not have gotten in the past.
1: Yeah, that, I felt like the WWE's version of the Brennan section for the first few years were, was pretty successful a uh, much past i say 2004-2005 wasn't start. you can definitely tell that Raw was a number one show they couldn't care less about SmackDown and then ECW when they brought that back as a third brand so I'm afraid, uh, I'm sure if things didn't turn down with how WCW did and Bischoff and Hogan were able to get a show on Fox I don't think the WCW version of the brand extension would have been as successful as the WWE's version.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, just judging by their booking of everything else. Yeah,
1: I guess that's why. I
0: guess I'd learned, I'd lean toward it not.
1: I guess, yeah, that's why I'm <laughs> leaning towards not. Yeah. Then on June 15th, Russo quit. Woohoo! Again.
0: <laughs> He'd be back. Yes. <laughs> that's all I got. He'd then, be back.
1: Please explain to me the idea of Booker T as G. I Bro and the misfits in action.
0: Well I wanna get your thoughts. I'm always given I wanted to know what you thought
1: on it. Honestly, I know during that time they gave Booker T a character change as G. I Bro. I know Hugh Morris was known as Huge Erection. Yeah, huge, huge erection. Oh. And I know Chavo was in Chavo Guerrero was in there. I don't remember what his character name was. I'm Lieutenant sure. Loco was his name. <laughs> I'm sure there was another guy or two in
0: there. And yes, Lash LaRue was known as
1: Corporal Cajun. And he, oh, go ahead. What didn't they do this idea for Booker T as GI Bro because he fought. Whoever and he couldn't use the initial T and he lost to either Aba Johnson or Stevie Ray, so he couldn't use a Harlem Heat theme song. So they just pretty much said, Screw it, let's ch- turn him into G. I. Bro.
0: Yeah, and it was kinda just really random, just like because he had been G. I. Bro, like back in the day, I guess. Um so yeah, that was really strange. I yeah, just I just want yeah, just thoughts on that miss okay. in action statement I guess
1: it was major guns. I guess it was unique to try something different. At sure. least I give them credit for that, that they're trying something different with everything. Yeah. Okay, I got another quote from page 314. All right, hit me with it. In mid-June, several employees in the company began making requests to be transferred to other divisions within Time Warner, with internal estimates suggesting that the company was on track to lose 60 to 80 million dollars that year. Jeez. These people wanted to land somewhere safe, just in case if the company got sold. As it turned out, they had more foresight than pretty much anyone yeah. involved in the wrestling business. Yeah. With that quote, I was thinking like, okay, I wanted to think of something different for.
0: Yeah. No. Initially, when I read this quote, I was like, oh, why are we doing this? But then I saw your. Uh, your question. I was like, oh yeah, right. Uh, I up. want us
1: to discuss parent companies own, owning wrestling promotions, as in WCW being owned by AOL Time Warner and TNA being owned by Panda Energy. I guess I want to us talking about that because I feel like wrestling companies being owned by parent companies, they they mm-hmm. force these wrestling companies to be responsible with their losses. I guess in WCW's aspect, being responsible for their losses, and they expect turnaround. I guess I want to get your thoughts on on that.
0: Well, there are pluses and minuses. The pluses are that if you have a parent company who's willing to absorb those losses, you can, in the case of TNA at least, um used as protection because if that was a company that was just owned by itself that would have been out of business many times you know many times sorry many times over um, so that's one plus um, there are other pluses that you can you know as WCW did use executives from within the company and help from within the company to um, help you run uh, the mice is though is that yeah like you said if you're just a a uh a, a, a part of the portfolio um and you're not making money you're cut that's what happens.
1: Um so Which we'll discuss next yeah. podcast.
0: Mhm. Exactly.
1: I know you when I got my notes back you cut this out for I don't know why <laughs> cuz I think it's
0: something that we probably talked about a bunch.
1: But we'll see. Galen Chandler debuted oh, on TV as the quote-unquote head huh? of Turner Standards and Practices Division. Who played this character on TV and who was the... I guess Yeah, who played the character on TV, do you know?
0: Here's why I couldn't cut it out,
1: because I couldn't find the answer. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> so maybe you should just listen to my requests.
1: Or you just didn't say why you cut it out until we were recording, Jack. <laughs> I guess. I guess, enough. yeah, ju- I just found it, ways i'm not surprised but i just found it interesting that wcw had a character play the head of turner standards and practices to try to i guess stick it back to them
0: yeah the so. real guy is a phd i found a lot on him okay. but not on the okay.
1: character i guess i'll kick it to you on your next few points
0: okay well i yeah i was like oh man why did not you touch on bash of the beach 2000 Probably because you could write a book just on Bash to the Beach 2000. That and I um, want
1: that I want to also give uh, you some opportunities <laughs> to put in some points of your own.
0: Yeah, right on. It's man, it, oh, it's even hard to just follow. All you all you need to know is that Hulk Hogan acted like he was just. To, or Jarrett was acting like he was just gonna like roll over for Hogan. Um. It ended the night with Booker T winning the title.
1: Okay, explain I think, Okay, explain more on what was going on about that. Because T- like it was originally going to be a work, then it turned into a shoot. And yeah, yeah. Why was, like, the, why was the world title being defended in the middle of the card?
0: Because that's the work part, is that uh, um, Hogan was get that Bishop or... That Hogan was just going to walk out because he was mad or whatever, that he had to do this deal. And then at the end of the show, um, Booker T would beat Jarrett, as it happened. The part that it worked into a real life situation is that Russo cut a promo in the middle of the show, um, you know, calling out Hogan, saying he was the problem for everything. Um, the issue is that he went a little went a little more in depth than he was supposed to ending with the famous line you big bald son of a bitch i guess (laughs) that really that really pissed off hogan he left and that's what kind of worked it into a shoot
1: okay i guess what was the original story if russo didn't go to that extent calling bish hogan a big bald son of a overlading lady dog uh, what was the original plan of Hogan walking out as champion? And okay, Well, if you don't remember, yeah, if I, I remember correctly in the book, that months down the line, Hogan was going to come back, I think in a storyline to culminate at Starcade 2000, where okay. Hogan would come back to say kind of what, what they did with the Punk storyline a few years ago in WWE. The WWE oh, title. that he was the
0: real champion. Yeah, okay. he was the
1: real champion. He never lost it. And whoever was the WWE champion at that time was more or less a temporary champ, and sure. if only he wanted to come back to defend his WSW world title. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: okay. So, but I cool. guess it lets you kick into your your ace up your sleeve for your next yeah. note.
0: Right, so the next few pages, they talked a lot about that. They're, they're giving a lot of praise for the Johnny Ace man for his work in WCW 2000, which is funny because the same guy is uh, well, the same guy, I guess, Brian Alvarez here, he uh, was quick to give the Ace Man a lot of hate in his years in uh, WWE. I just thought that was funny. Just interesting that, uh, I mean, I guess, whatever, if you're good at one thing, that doesn't mean you're always going to be good. But I just thought it was interesting that they were like, oh, okay. the,
1: the great booking of Johnny Ace. Yeah, because it's like in booking in, or WCW that he was a good finish man, good book, booking man and which was why he was hired in wwe and seemed like what alvarez pooped on on john Laurinaitis, johnny ace is his sent after ace took over jim ross's role of head of talent yeah and it seemed like then yeah, yeah then that's when alvarez kind of pooped on him which i think we talked about this before in the podcast so if you're Good in one department, you might not be great in another department, and I think that's sure. what may have been why Alvarez was shatting all over Johnny, John Laurinaitis, the ace man. But I guess I'm happy that at least WCW found a good booker because like Johnny Ace was working with I think New Japan Pro Wrestling as their okay. finished man, and they really liked his work over there, which is why they brought him in to WCW. And which helped him a job in WWE years later.
0: Yeah, but again, they they went away from him very quickly when Russo and Bischoff were ready to go.
1: And what was ready to go was WCW's version of Team Canada.
0: Oh, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Lance Storm and Team Canada and winning uh, three titles. Um renaming them he won the hardcore title the u.s title which he called the canadian title the hardcore title he called oh terribly the saskatchewan hardcore invitational title spell it out
1: oh okay that makes sense Yeah. shat <laughs> uh, title yep and the
0: cruiserweight title he won and called the hundred kilos and under title, which I thought was funny. <laughs> and he gave that to Elix Skipper. He gave the hardcore title to um, Pierre uh, Pierre Wilot.
1: I guess that that makes me laugh. That or it makes me smile that they liked Lance storm enough to put the th- you know three under titles or three undercore yeah. titles on them, right? Which is really interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, and I know. Well, yeah, we all know that. I must describe it to a wrestling observer, and which I found kind of interesting that with you wanted to get my thoughts on Lance Storm being in Team Canada. That mm-hmm. for a while this was I think when TNA first jumped to Spike TV was so I think an hour long. On the most recent, I think one of the most re- recent episodes on on Wrestling Observer on Figure Four Dailies with Lance Storm, Lance was talked about how for a while he was. Corresponding with he- with people in TNA and ROH, giving them you know constructive criticism on the product and and all that. Okay. And, and during that time, Christian was uh, NWA World Heavyweight Champion in TNA, and he was feuding with TNA's version of Team Canada, and Lance said that this was, I think, building up to maybe the, their first two hours show on Spike TV that that Christian was going to defend the NWA title against a member of Team Canada. And okay. Lance emailed in saying, you know, since he was corresponding with them about, you know, his thoughts on, their, you know, their TV product and all that. Why, you know, he's he was willing to come in and work a match with Christian it was, since he was part of Team Canada and WCW. Okay. And they didn't do that, which I thought a match with Christian, Lance would have been great, but I guess... I'm happy that Lance was built up great and was such a great wrestler that got him a job in WWE a few years later. Mm-hmm. That I, I just feel like Lance could have been the late 90s, early 2000s version of Bret Hart if if booked right. Since he was a you know also from, from Canada and a great technical wrestler, I feel like. They could they could have done more with Lance and both companies WWE and WCW, but they didn't.
0: I just don't know. I'm not sure. Okay, I'm, well, I'm not sure because like he always just and I know it became part of his gimmick and I hate this gimmick, but he really was really boring. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, I think sometimes even his appearances on radio are. Yeah. But well, I, I guess, don't know. I'm sure they could say mine are too. So whatever. I guess they, he's, I he's meant- little, he makes more money than I do
1: I guess I mentioned that because, you know, Brett wasn't really that great on the mic either.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he had a lot more charisma than
1: Landstorm, though. Something yeah. that, I guess, something that uh, July 2000 and your thoughts on Lance Storm go hand in hand was they both suck. <laughs> I guess I want to get your thoughts on WCW losing $7 million in the month of July 2000 alone. Wow were before they only lost six million dollars in one year yeah
0: yeah that's my thoughts it's just wow i don't know how you can
1: <laughs> crazy like we talked about last week on the podcast if they want um, give away seven million dollars in one month oh my hey, gosh they got hey. two takers right here yeah we can, you can split it <laughs> yeah you know, take taxes out and we'll, so we'll get maybe at least a million dollars apiece then after taxes yeah i'll love that We can pay off our (laughs) loans. I can go part-time. I'd love that. Yeah, right on. Okay. Then, well, I know I kind of mentioned it earlier with the TV title, but WCW Saturday Night was turned off with no warning after 27 years on TBS, the Superstation, if you will. Yeah. Guess what? I want to get your thoughts on Saturday Night just being turned off with no warning and, I guess, any memories of Saturday Night.
0: Oh, we've talked about my memories of Saturday night. I liked it. It was. Yeah, I talked a ton about it just
1: last week about hole in one, Darso and well, I'm sorry, Mark Mr. Ginger, Hills. The basketball I, I player. Typed, I typed these notes out like weeks before we did you gotta last week's podcast. Got to look at them, but um, I guess I guess fine. I'll talk about my thoughts. I, okay. It makes me sad that they just turned it off with no warning. Yeah, that's but, unfortunate. And you know, I guess you know, I ta- we talked about it before if. You know, if people aren't going to watch it, then why have it? You know, if they yeah. bump Nitro from three hours down to two, you know, that because it's burning everybody out, then it doesn't really break my heart that they cancel WCW Saturday Night, even though I wish they would have gave it more of a farewell and gave it, you know, say, hey, in four weeks, WCW Saturday Night is going to air its final episode. Tune in to watch and see what's going to happen or show like last week the be- the highlights of the best of Saturday night from right, over, the, uh-huh. over the 27 years.
0: Yeah. They could have got it. I mean, they had a lot of the stars from the 80s still under contract. I, you know, it's unfortunate they couldn't have done some type of, you know, farewell with the likes of dusty, the likes of flair um, you know, I'm sure you could have brought in Tully. You had Arn under contract. You know, th- those guys, for for kind of a retrospective, um, yeah, it's unfortunate they just kind of cut it.
1: What I want to say farewell is when they cut Thunder's tapings on Wednesday or Tuesday nights or whatever it was yeah, to t- Monday nights, t- which leads to your next note.
0: Yeah, my question is just like, um, you, I think you've been to tapings, right? You've yeah. been to like a Ron and SmackDown, right? Yeah. If you went to Iran, they did, or Nitro, I guess it would be, and they did Thunder After, would you stick around for that?
1: During that time, probably not, because how bad TV was. Uh, yeah. A couple of tapes I went to was the Eddie Guerrero tribute show. That, oh. oh, really? Yeah, the night he died in Minneapolis. I guess that morning, he, you know, there was a Sunday they were taping Ron Smackdown on... You know, in Minneapolis because they're going to go overseas. So, oh, really? Yeah, so I was going to be there anyway. And I think that taping would have been three to four hours long since, you know, they didn't have to worry about taping or they had to worry about, you know, commercials and all that. But, and I also went to a SmackDown and ECW show where SmackDown was obviously taped and ECW was. I think live two tape, if not, was a little bit of a delay. Yeah, And I think, yeah, if I remember correctly, they taped SmackDown before ECW. Oh, did they really? oh, yeah. yeah. And so it wasn't that... So well, I think ECW was, I think, like 9 to 10 central for us. So it would have been silly to start SmackDown taping at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. On a Tuesday. But anyway, I guess, you know, if... Right,
0: like that's what they were doing with these Thunder tapings is they would air Nitro live and then start the Thunder taping
1: at yeah, it, 10 o'clock. So I guess if they would have done that with SmackDown and ECW, I went to, did ECW live, then tape SmackDown afterwards, I don't think I would have stayed around for it.
0: Right. And I remember I had a friend back in 2000 who, for some reason, his family was like WCW hardcore to the end. And he went to one, he said like night er, like everyone left after Nitro. And he was able to like move to the side that's on TV <laughs> right in front. <laughs> and he's like, but man, it was, it was hard to get through because it's almost you know midnight at that point. Well,
1: yeah. Which, uh, which sucks, yeah. Which, yeah, I don't know if I would have st- stuck around for Thunder, especially being on, on a work night. Sure, yeah. Then I guess I'll get get your, I guess our next, your next one is worked shoots.
0: Yeah, just can they ever work? Because like, like, in in this chapter, obviously when Russo's booking, it's a lot of work shoots. Um, and do they ever end up working? Uh,
1: I feel like if the right booker is doing it, they could. And I feel like, you know, work shoots would be walking a fine line. It would have been would be extremely hard to do. Um, Always I felt like they kinda started to do one and a half week teeth with yeah, well I mentioned earlier with punk and WWE a few years ago. Right, yep, yep, that's a
0: good example. But they killed it off
1: right away. So I I feel like, you know, it could work but most times it doesn't. Yep. in the in the end, you know, at at first it could work but I don't think I think in the end it just doesn't.
0: Yeah. And I think you always run the risk of Hurting people's feelings and whatnot.
1: So I'll get yeah, I guess I'll let you kind of get go on to your next point.
0: Oh, yeah, this is a random this is another random one. It's a bit of a flub by the writers and their editors. It said that Raw was preempted by the dog show in August. That happens in February. <laughs> it would have been tennis. Come on, guys. I feel like it's just like lazy just be like dog show. It's always the dog show. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> it's not always the dog show, guys. Come on. on but that's
1: it. <laughs> on September 25th, 2000, Nitro was held in the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, New York. That night, Vinny Rue defeated Booker Tina Cage match to win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship.
0: Right. Yeah, we were speared through the side of the cage by Mr. Goldberg.
1: If we thought it was a joke that David Arquette was WCW champion, yeah, I felt like Vince Russo becoming WCW World Champion was even more of a joke.
0: Oh, totally, totally. At least, uh, at least David Arquette has some like cachet, some. Uh, like celebrity status Russo had none of that and he didn't have ring ability plus because that he was getting hurt and so he's sacrificing his own well-being for you know dumb dumb storylines that aren't even like getting
1: over so I I just feel like the ways I kind of understand David Arquette since WCW WCW likes using celebrities but I feel like Vince Russo as World Heavyweight Champion just hurts the WCW title more than what it was. But then again, as on September 25th of 2000, the WCW title pretty much was nothing anyway. Right. So giving it to Vince Russo can't hurt it any more than what it what it what it already was. Sadly, that's probably the truth. So I guess I moved let you kick it back to you for your next note alright i'm gonna minimize
0: you i was just looking at your pretty face Ooh, oh yeah, uh skip this one okay. go to the next one
1: it, fans if you were wondering it was just a note about uh what we talked about last week about wwf moving to tnn yeah my next note from page 339 and i quote and in early october the first serious rumors of WCW being sold began making the rounds. There had been plenty of talk in the past that Time Warner might be interested in selling and that Bischoff was doing whatever he could to get investors together to make an offer. There were even rumors that offers had been made. Both sides were far apart on numbers. I want to get your thoughts on the early, early rumblings of in October of two thousand, that Bischoff was interested on buying WCW.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting way to go. If he could have gotten a a financial backer, could have seen it
1: happen. I guess if, with Bischoff's track record as Booker up to that point, I just find it questionable seeing Bischoff wanted to buy WCW. I guess right there would have been. I may would have may have done things differently if he was the one, you know, taking the brunt of the the loss of money, you know, unlike he was in '96, '97, '98. But I guess you know, just looking at his track record, I don't know if WCW would have been better off with him owning it. Right. Yeah. And who knows? Yeah. Who knows? So move on to my next note on October second of Nitro, besides it being Mother D's birthday, Vince, awesome. Ru- Vince Russo vacated the WCW World Heavyweight title. So Vince Russo, besides vacating the title, that was Mother D's birthday gift. Thank you very much. So besides that, Vince Russo vacated the WCW World Heavyweight title. And he wasn't firing Goldberg for spirit him out of the cage the week before. he When he won the title, no. He wasn't. You know, he thought he would just keep Goldberg ground. He put Jeff Jarrett and Booker T as one team against Scott Steiner in a take match. And the winning team would face off to determine who the new world champion would be. So Booker T and Jeff Jarrett won. And they fought each other on Nitro, I believe in Australia. It, well, oh, it was in California. My my bad. What, it was at the Cow Palace. I was see actually, even though I don't know why, when I was looking at San Francisco... okay, man. But they fought each other in a San Francisco 49ers match for Booker T to win back the world heavyweight title. The Old School Wrestling Podcast did a podcast on that match. If you guys want to go check out another podcast on that, check it out. But Mr. Beverly Hills, can you explain what a 49ers match is?
0: Yeah, the... The San Francisco 49er match is basically just a pole match as, you know, the Russo stereotype ha- has gotten. Um, there were boxes in each of the corners. Um, the point was that you would get the box that had the title in it. Uh, the person who gets the uh, box with the title in it wins. So uh, in one of the boxes was a blow-up doll. Uh, in one of the boxes was a picture of Scott Hall. Uh, in one of the boxes was a coal miner's glove. And the other one was the title. Uh, just it, God, a freaking picture of Scott Hall. So stupid. He's not on TV. They keep giving him TV time. He's not on TV. And so
1: dumb. And didn't the box with the world title, didn't it fall and the box shattered and yeah, Dave Penzer grabbed the title and gave it to Booker T, then Booker T was the official world champion, even though I think the real estate of whoever touched the world title <laughs> first was champion, so therefore David Penzer should have been the WCW World Heavyweight Champion.
0: Well, I'm glad that David Penzer didn't win the title. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so kind of talking about owners and people being interested in buying WCW. Right. My next quote is on from pages three forty. 346 to 347. In early November, the WWF officially backed out of its negotiations to purchase the company. In fact, Linda McMahon's exact words to broadcasting cable magazine were, We're definitely not buying it. Initially, Viacom had been upset with Vince's plan to air Nitro and Thunder on TNT and TBS respectively, since they were rival networks. At that time, this was a serious issue because with the impending AOL Titan Warner merger, Turner wanted to up uh, wanted to unload the money losing company but retain the T V shows. I guess if McMahon would have bought McMahon and the WWF would have bought WCW and had been able to keep them on TNT and TBS, what things should what things should of should McMahon have done to keep the new WCW separate from the WWF and production aspect?
0: This is a this is kind of a moot point because Viacom wouldn't have let him do it. Okay. They would they would have blocked the sale.
1: Okay, if let's say if Viacom would have let WWF bring WWE over to Viacom. Do you think that would have worked?
0: Well, that's what they wanted to do in 2001.
1: Do you know why? Remember? Do you know why Vince didn't want to do that? Because he couldn't get another time slot. Understandable then.
0: Yeah that that was the point is that he couldn't get another time slot. So that's why they ended up doing the brand extension instead.
1: Understandable then. Do you know Do you know why Turner was willing to sell the company but still want the TV shows on his network?
0: They were still, even though they were doing so poorly, if you could have gotten the cost off your books, they were still getting pretty good ratings.
1: Okay, so they, they want to keep the ratings on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, understandable. Yep. And my next qu- quote was from page 347. Unfortunately, by killing off all the belts, and in particular the heavyweight title, Russo had created an atmosphere where everyone was fighting each other. For really no good reason. (laughs) Since the belts had been rendered worthless, there was nothing worth fighting for. And the fans had no reason to keep behind any of the wrestlers. We talked about this before, but as a fan of the industry, what do the titles, especially the World Heavyweight title, mean to us?
0: Yeah, I mean, titles are what you fight for. So it's really difficult to see them just not
1: getting used, you know? I guess to, you know, tie it in with our jobs, I guess is, you know, titles in pro wrestling is kind of like positions in everyday life, and people's work, people's jobs, you know? People want to move up to the highest level position they can, and aspect the World Heavyweight title is... The I mean, way it's a supervisor's position or the principal position or whatever else. hmm you know? Right. So, like, f- for me, you know, if I would have been watching WCW more this time, I would have no reason to really watch it because the WCW title meant nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, like I yeah. mentioned earlier back in May with the hot shot of the WCW world title between Jeff Jarrett to Flair to Jeff Jarrett to Nash to Ric Flair to Jeff Jarrett all within a few weeks... You know, me watching it on WCW Worldwide, it made absolutely no sense. And, yeah, it was cool to see Ric Flair with the WCW World title again. But other than that, the title means nothing, nothing to me.
0: Yeah, it's just whatever. You know, it doesn't have any real... Yeah, it doesn't have any, you know, real meaning at that point.
1: I guess if there was no championships to fight for in pro wrestling... What what as the fans? Why would we want to watch wrestling?
0: Exactly. I mean, like I guess if you're just watching it for, um, you know, just for the competition or just for watching it or whatever, sure that that's fine. But I don't think that's enough.
1: Yeah. Then again, next quote on page three fifty. On December eighth, Brad S- Siegel, Siegel, yep, Siegel. Okay. On December eighth, Brad Siegel met with all the WCW department heads and stated point blank that WCW was not, or wait, WCW was for sale. I guess as a fan, do you remember when you first heard that WCW was for sale, even if it, even if it was rumors or for sure? No, I don't really remember that at all. Because only time, only thing I can remember, which we'll talk about next podcast, was I remember my f- friends telling me the night after WCW was bought, after the simulcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, me too. Like I said, you know, we'll talk about that next week on the podcast. Right. Uh, Star Kid that year in two thousand, guess did a zero point one one rating. Which, Which
0: I guess is really bad. I don't really know.
1: Yeah. Guess is, yeah. Diamond Dallas Page and Kevin Nash uh, regained or retained whatever the tag team titles from Palumbo and Sean Stasiak The Goldberg versus Lux Luger semi main was, I guess, alright. And the Scott Steiner retained the WCW title against Sid with a stunner recliner. I guess, do you have any thoughts on that star kid or it doing a horrible rating?
0: Um, no, I haven't seen it in a really long time. Um, I'm sure it wasn't great. And it's, yeah, it's too bad that it fell so far.
1: I guess, yeah, then I feel like it, you know, tying in with what you just said, you just answered my next question. But I do feel like it's sad that WCW fell all the way down to doing a a 0.11 rating for by right for their WrestleMania. Yeah, that's their big show. Yeah, they drove away the fans enough to. You know, people don't want to buy their their WrestleMania, their Super Bowl. Right, and like, Starcade is
0: such that ideally even people who don't buy pay-per-views should buy that one. And their company had become so toxic at that point that even that doesn't get anything.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I guess I'll kick it to you on your your next note
0: oh yeah i just was wondering what your thoughts were on the scott steiner main event push
1: or in your words thoughts on Steiner's man event run
0: you got it he was the man that's what i meant
1: um i guess i enjoyed it i enjoyed going back once in a while to listen to odd scott Steiner promos because <laughs> he was wacky you know, he was super wacky i felt like during that time i guess ways even now that Scott Center reminds me of the heel. Scott Center reminds me of heels back in the 80s that guys you don't want to screw with. And okay, you, sure. You would see them in the bar, you piss, yeah. piss them off. Walk away, yeah. You've pissed them off, they're going to beat you down. They're going to beat right. you up. They're not, they're not, they'll are split your wig. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess Scott Center to me yeah, brings, brings back the old school heel back in, in into 2000. Right. So I'm happy they were giving somebody new uh, a run. I don't feel like then Scott Steiner's TV age felt that old. Well, yeah, cause he was playing such a different character. and he, Yeah, and he was brand new to the main event scene, so it was something completely different, which I liked.
0: Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, and I'd agree with a lot of that. He seemed legitimately crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I I guess I like to. I'm sure you use this catchphrase in WCW. He used this catchphrase at the beginning of this theme song in WWF. Holler, if you hear me. Yep. I love that. My daddy son and I use that line on each other once in a while and, <laughs> and all that. And we like to yell that at people at Pastor Biters when we're driving around St. Cloud. Fun times. <laughs> <laughs> I got another quote from page 355. Oh my gosh, thank <laughs>
0: She around going all
1: me. Then we hear sirens behind us. And we're like, "Oh, poop!"
0: No, that's just you. That's just your theme song. Yes, because that was always the thing was the
1: sirens. I got another quote from page three fifty five. The yeah. company had become a muddy pit, like the likes of which had never been seen before in wrestling, and Time Warner was upset.
0: Yeah. Unquote.
1: WWE lost sixty-two million dollars in the year oh, two thousand. I, wow. I, I guess I guess I want to get your thoughts. I guess in my thoughts too on the year that was two thousand four World Championship Wrestling.
0: It was really just a mess, and it was so far gone at that point. They lost sixty-two million dollars. That's so crazy, and. I just can't even believe that that's possible, let alone that it happened.
1: You know, you know, I, like that. You know, from in July of two thousand, they lost seven million dollars in one year. Like, how in the hell do you one do month, that? One month, yeah. Oh, one month, yeah. How do? How in the hell do you do that? And right. You know, like I guess, like I said with last week with ninety nine podcast, I felt extremely pooped trying to read through this chapter because I think this chapter was the longest chapter out of the book sure out of the hardcover i think it was 100 pages and i think the longest chapters would have been about 60 pages i think you know, yeah for the first chapter and i think for 99 as well mm-hmm. so uh, i felt extremely you know tired trying to read through everything and try to make sense of stuff and yeah last week you said just wait for then you know and, next week, <laughs> and yeah you're right yeah so i guess that, yeah that uh What's your... I guess, yeah, did you feel drained on reading through this chapter and trying to make sense of everything?
0: Um, I mean, yes and no, because, like, at the same point, such, like, kind of silly, crazy stuff was happening that, like, it it consistently made me laugh. And, like, I think it's maybe the difference between you and I, like, I actually watched this, so it was funny, like, thinking back to when it happened whereas, like, you were just still trying to kind of wrap your head around it, so that yeah. maybe was the difference.
1: Well, I guess, to me, it also made me laugh. I guess going back and reading about Sold Out and, and Bree, which, you know, I have on VHS. I bought it at Goodwill for a dollar apiece, and fun times that we had watching back and laughing at some right. of the matches and some of the booking and, and all that. So yeah, that that was definitely fun. Especially having yeah, Mikey Wolfrecht coming over and <laughs> us making fun of him, and since he, does, <laughs> since he doesn't know anything about wrestling other than stuff from us, just
0: laughing with the Wolfster. Yes, yeah, so we,
1: we woof with the Wolfster. So I guess do you have any final thoughts on the year that was 2000? I guess in overall, since you are wrote- no,
0: I, I kind of got to him. Just it's just really just the death rattles.
1: W C W Yeah. The year two thousand closed with W C W losing sixty two million dollars. Oh. We, we end a chapter that was Bill Clinton's presidential run for eight years here in the United States. Yeah, right. Starting with, with George W. Bush's eight year run as president in two thousand one. Yeah. Yes. And we must as well get into the plugs of the podcast, Mr. Beverly Hills. Okay. You guys can listen to us at our website, mideventstatus.com dot com. Again, that's mideventstatus.com. dot com. You guys can listen to us on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash main event status radio. That's all one word, people. Soundcloud.com slash main event status radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, I always... Always forget about this third way to listen to us. What is this magical, mystical third way?
0: Well, the way I listen to it, through iTunes, rate, subscribe, comment. We need to climb those ranks. We need to beat the Ross Report. We need to get rid of his saucy attitude. And he was super saucy this week, earlier in the week. I can't recall exactly what he was doing, but he was exceptionally saucy.
1: So, people, join us on beating the Ross Report. Join us on our social campaign, hashtag Saucyattitude, to (laughs) teach Jim Ross a lesson that we are tired of the Ross Report on iTunes. We are tired of his hashtag Saucyattitude on social media.
0: The social media campaign, hashtag Saucyattitude.
1: And oh facebook, social media you guys can like us on facebook <laughs> facebook.com slash Made event status radio that's all one word just like our soundcloud page yep. facebook.com slash Made event status radio mr beverly hills how can they interact with you on sunset boulevard on the, <laughs> on the twitter machine
0: um twitter dot com slash beverly hills m-e-s
1: for me it's at Dirty Dog, M-E-S, that's dog, as in D-A-W-G, Dirty Dog, M-E-S, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, interact with us on both, at hashtag Saucy Attitude.
0: Saucy Attitude, yes, hashtag Saucy Attitude.
1: We want it to trend, we want Jim Ross to notice it, we want Jim Ross to kick (laughs) that attitude. That is so so saucy.
0: It's so saucy. Gosh, he's saucy.
1: For Mr. Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. We'll catch you guys next time in the year 2001.
0: Yappapai! pie That was amazing. Did she get... Did she get... Much more time than anyone else. <laughs> that is our show. Good night, everybody. That's so good.